Welcome back to another case cast episode. I'm your host, Dr. Dominique Hill, the Associate Program Director for the Emergency Medicine Residency at St. Mary's. And today I am proud to present and introduce uh, Dr. Paz Arabo, who is our uh, current uh, ED chair. Welcome, Dr. Paz. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to talk about um, COVID-19 treatments. And why don't we start off with what made you want to talk about this today, Dr. Paz? Well, as we've all known, we've been, for the past year, we've been um, studying and also changing different therapeutics over the past year. Things that we thought initially uh, were ideal treatments have rapidly changed uh, from a year ago. So, you know, initially we came out a year ago with uh, hydroxychloroquine being the miracle medication, and then that quickly changed. So now at our hospital, we're seeing a little bit of a surge in our area since spring break and Easter, we've seen a bit of a surge and we've been seeing more patients come in, uh, especially for just COVID swab testing. They just wanted to know um, and wanted to know on, you know, on their own time. So they were coming to the ER rather than to urgent cares or making an appointment. So of those patients that we've been seeing, luckily most of them do well. Most of them have been healthy. But for those that are high risk, I chose to talk about this because those are the patients that we really need to educate and offer uh, the monoclonal therapy uh, that we have available now. Luckily, the state is deploying it to several hospitals that um, can infuse it or can find a dedicated space and staff to infuse it. We had it for a little while, as you know, uh, Dr. Hill. We had our own uh, in our area back a few months ago where we were infusing on site. However, at that time, we didn't have the surge. So we were only able to identify a handful a day, and then vaccination started, right? We were doing that prior to vaccination. So now our staff is dedicated to vaccination clinics. So we have to find ways of infusing these patients and uh, educating and doing almost like community outreach to uh, increase the awareness to patients when they do test positive. They don't just have to stay home and take their vitamins. If they're high risk, they can uh, go and get an infusion uh, of either the Regeneron cocktail or the Bam Eddy cocktail. So that was really my driving force is we've been seeing a little bit more of that lately where we're seeing well-appearing high-risk patients that can go home, not requiring oxygen. Um, when we see sick patients, we pretty much fine-tune our protocol here. So when we see mild patients who... Uh, come in with just mild symptoms, stable vitals, not requiring oxygen. Usually it's just supportive care and they can go home. If they're deemed to be high risk, however, uh, we have added to our template to identify those high risks to bring it top of mind for our note template so that we can ask those questions about their risk factors. And then those are the patients we can focus on when we are fortunate enough that we have somebody at our hospital that does the callbacks the next day for anybody who gets tested and goes home immediately. And that's the opportunity that we can look into to do that community outreach and educate them where to go and give them the referral and answer any questions that they might have for BAMETI or Regeneron. And then for the moderate, as we know, usually when we see people who are hypoxic, 91%, anything under 94 requiring oxygen, we admit them and we give them the Decadron 6 milligrams here. Um, we discuss with ID regarding remdesivir. And a lot of our patients, when I discuss with our ID folks, they are receiving both the Decadron and the remdesivir pretty early 
as opposed to last year when the remdesivir was such a shortage. Remember, at one point it was just given as compassionate care, and then they ran out. So it's interesting. Now it's approved, and um, it's luckily in most areas that it is available at most hospitals, but again, not all. So every hospital has their own protocol depending on what they have available. Decadron can be interchanged with solubedrol and or prednisone or even hydrocortisone, depending on what the uh, hospital formulary is. Uh, Remdesivir, our ID folks, it's uh, restricted, but we can start it in consultation with them there. And that's for the oxygen-requiring, moderate, sick patients. And then when they are in, uh, requiring high, you know, significantly increases amount of oxygen requirement, then they have been adding at our hospital the TOSI, the TOSILU, I cannot say it, but I call it TOSI, MAB. Then uh, we've been having that. They use the convalescent plasma as well, but I see more of the TOSI added to that as well. We've seen some great uh, outcomes, especially with the steroids and the remdesivir early in combination. We hear the bell at our hospital. There's a little celebration. The song celebration is uh, the tune is played over the hospital speaker. So we have been noticing that tune being played a little bit more lately. Okay, so we have gone through um, mild, moderate, and severe treatments at St. Mary's, but uh, what about in, in uh, say, more rural EDs or EDs that don't maybe have as many resources as our ED? What are, what are some other treatments you might recommend for those uh, places, Dr. Paz? Mm-hmm. So in more rural areas, they can use the steroid if they are requiring oxygen, the steroid that's formulary in their hospital, they can initiate with that and interchange that for the decadron. They can transfer if they don't have remdesivir, but they are using steroids alone if they feel like the patient's more on the mild to moderate side, uh, the DEXA or the steroid alone, and see how they do. Um, not everybody, again, the TOSI isn't available to everybody as well, so tertiary transfers. Um, I think in that standpoint, when you're in a rural environment transferring for referral, um, also for those high-risk patients, referring them to monoclonal uh, antibody therapy. We've had in our system, uh, I know St. Joe's Oakland, which is in Pontiac, they they have an infusion center from 9 to 9 outside of their ER. It's their ER observation area that they are doing that. So we refer there. Henry Ford has received a grant from the state as well to have several hubs uh, to infuse the community, and um, there's a dedicated line there to refer to uh, as well. So hopefully there will be more and more um, infusion centers and availability to the community. And I think sharing the stories from people who actually have received the infusion might be helpful because just as we see with the vaccine, when I see our sick patients come in, I ask them, are you vaccinated or, you know, are you, were you aware of the monoclonal infusion? And usually it's no and no when they're that sick. I just had a patient last week that was pretty sick and young but had comorbidities and would have been an eligible candidate for the monoclonal infusion but was not aware of it and also was not vaccinated. So unfortunately it goes hand in hand sometimes the trust in the vaccines or the trust in monoclonal therapy. I had a patient a few weeks ago that I had it all ready and we were going to try to infuse it in the ER. Um, even though we were pretty full in the ER, we, I was able to get approval between nursing and pharmacy and get everything into play. And when he read the EUA fact sheet, he said, this is not FDA approved. And 
So I had to explain to him that nothing really has been FDA approved. It's all EUA, including the vaccine. And so um, I think, you know, people think that, you know, the vaccines are FDA approved. And right now we're all learning and we're hoping that these treatments, that the studies that are showing these treatments being effective will help change. And sharing the statistics, because with the Blaze study, the monoclonal therapy, at least the BAM-EDI, showed um, like a 70% relative risk reduction of hospitalization. That's huge, 70%. It is. So, you know, they did, and we learned, you know, we were giving BAM. When we had our infusion clinic, we were only doing BAM monotherapy. And then they did more studies, and they realized that it was more effective with BAM and then the Eddy. So the combination of BAM-Eddy or the Regeneron cocktail, that that really increased um the relative risk reduction for hospitalization, which is huge. And nobody died from that phase three blaze study. So I, you know, would definitely um, support that and encourage that for people that are high risk because when they're well, they're well, but within about seven to 10 days is the time that they may not be well. And then it's too late. The earlier you infuse, the better within 10 days, preferably from 10 days from the initial onset of symptoms, but we recommend as soon as they test positive, that's when you start referring and that's when you start talking about it to the high-risk patients. And pediatrics, too, fall into the high-risk um, population. Pediatrics with 85% um, or greater of their, um, you know, BMI. So, and, you know, sickle cell patients, asthma, COPD. And there's so many immunosuppressant patients that are, you know, on immunosuppressant agents for other reasons as well that might not come to mind. You know, we think of the immunocompromised, the obvious, you know, the chemo patients, the HIV. But we don't always think about people who are who have maybe Crohn's and are on their immunosuppressants or lupus. So those are the patients that we also need to target. Wow, Dr. Paz, uh, this has been a lot of great material on a recent kind of updates on COVID uh, treatments, given that this has definitely been a moving target for our specialty since day one. And I think this is a very timely uh, podcast, given that, as you mentioned, that we kind of have a surge in our area that we're kind of riding out right now. Um, so I really want to thank you for uh, discussing this important topic with us today and wanted to give you a chance to give us some closing remarks. Uh, well, basically, uh Appreciate everybody in our department and everybody nationwide who work in the front lines and have had their own personal stories or family members um, affected by this. And um, as we move into the upcoming months, we're seeing in the news that uh, in public gatherings, especially outdoor, there won't be mask requirements soon. Uh, I have already seen just yesterday in Pennsylvania, even in Michigan, we've, you know, outdoor masking isn't necessarily required with certain numbers are vaccinated and, and we're seeing that. So I'm hoping that the numbers won't uptick because of that and hoping we can get to some sort of sense of normalcy. But please keep in mind those high risk patients. That's my takeaway from this is keep top of mind any patients that might be high risk that could benefit from the therapeutic options that we discussed. Well, thank you again, Dr. Paz, and thank you to everyone out there for tuning in to another uh, CaseCast episode from St. Mary Mercy Hospital Emergency Medicine Residency in Livonia, Michigan. Take care.